This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Well, it's that time of the year where I usually have some problems with my throat because of the pollen and allergies that I have. Never had that before I moved to North Carolina, so you might have to bear with a little roughness in my voice today. Today I want to continue the series I've been doing on Do We Really Believe the Bible? I'm sure that what I'm going to have to say today will upset a lot of you, but it'll show whether or not you believe what God has to say or whether you want to change it to mean something different than what it says. Before I get into that, I'd like to talk a little bit about faith because the Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. To please God, we not only have to believe in him, but we have to believe that seeking and following his precepts will reap rewards. We have to believe that when we do what God says, he blesses us. It totally amazes me how much people today seem to forget this very principle. Since we have to have faith in order to please God, let me take a moment here to define faith. Let us see what it is. Of course, most of you are familiar with, it says now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This verse of scripture says some very important things that will help us as we walk in our Christian life if we will consider what it really says. First of all, it talks about substance. I want you to notice that word, substance. That means to stand underneath. And that's exactly what the Greek word means. It means to support from below. So faith is, first of all, that which stands underneath the things we hope for. Our hope of eternal life, our hope of blessing uh, from God, and all of those things are wrapped up in this idea of something stands underneath. Faith is not just some nebulous thing that we hope things are going to happen. Faith is knowing God, knowing His Word, and trusting in that, and uh, that is the substance or that which stands under the things we hope for. That's the Word of God. Our belief in the Word of God is the first part of faith. But it goes on to say the evidence of things not seen. Sometimes people think that faith is, is foolishness. No, faith is, is a belief that causes us to act in a certain way. When God says do something and we do it, we show faith. One example that I like to use a lot when I'm talking about these things is one time I was at a meeting and the man that was speaking said, the first person up here I'll give this $5 bill to. Well, everybody believed what he said, But not everybody had faith. Only one person, that is myself, actually got up out of his chair and walked up there and took the $5 bill. There's a better example, though, and that's Abraham. Remember, Abraham's faith was counted unto him for righteousness? Well, this was said before he ever had a son. But later, many years later, he had a son, and when the son was grown uh, to be a young man, God came and asked him to go offer his son on an altar as a sacrifice. Abraham obviously loved his son and surely didn't want to do that any more than you or I would want to do if we were asked to do the same thing. But Abraham's faith in God was so strong 
that he knew that God would work this out and keep his promise of this son being the son through whom he would have a great inheritance and a great uh, number of descendants. So he did what God commanded him to do. That's what faith is all about. It didn't make sense, but God said it, and it was settled for Abraham, and he went out and did what he should have done. The main passage I want to look at today is found in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, But speak thou things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young woman to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. I want you to notice that this passage of Scripture starts out with, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. That means the things that follow become sound doctrine. So what does that mean? Well, Webster's definition of become says, in general, to suit or be suitable, to be congruous, uh, to benefit, uh, to accord with, in character or, or circumstances, to be worthy of, decent or proper. The things that follow are suitable. They agree with, they benefit, are in accord with, and are worthy of sound doctrine. If we're going to be sound in doctrine, we're going to have to follow the things that are in this passage of Scripture. Most of you will agree with the majority of what this passage has to say. I don't think anyone's going to have any problem with the fact that it tells older men they're to be godly men, sound in the faith, etc. I don't think anyone will have a problem with the fact that the older women are to be godly women and conduct themselves as godly women should. I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with these things. Most of the things that the older women are supposed to teach the younger women will not get anyone upset. Teaching them to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be chaste, or to be good, not going to offend anybody, I don't think. And uh, if it does, then you have a real problem. But there are three things that will upset some of you. Some of them will upset some of you more than others. Some will say some of them are okay, and some will be upset. There's one main one, which we'll look at in a minute, that I think is going to be the biggest problem. It starts out by saying, teach the young women to be discreet. This means that they are to be restrained in their actions. It has to do with self-control. It is the result of having a meek and quiet spirit. Peter, in talking about those things that make women attractive, said, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. This is not something that is really popular and particularly a characteristic of today's society. Women, for the most part, don't seem to have this meek and quiet spirit that's spoken of here. 
those women who are dominant, who try and dominate everybody around them, including men, those women who have to be the center of attention, who are boisterous, who can be heard above everybody else, are not pleasing to God. Now, don't get angry with me. This is not my idea. It's God's word that says that women are to be discreet, which means reserved and not uh, boisterous all the time. Doesn't mean women can't have fun. Doesn't mean women can't laugh. Doesn't mean women can't be a joyful, bubbly person. But it means that they can't be the center of attention. They shouldn't be seeking that. They should not be trying to dominate those around them. Submission to one's husband is supposed to be a characteristic of a godly woman. I know what I'm saying here, and what I'm going to say as we get deeper into this, is going to ruffle some feathers. The question comes down to this. Do you believe God or not? As I listen to people and see them change these passages of Scripture to make them mean something they don't say, it upsets me. I, I, I'm not upset because they're doing it. I'm upset because I see them suffering the consequences of uh, the fact that they won't follow God's principles. I can't say anything about it because it might get out, but there is a person that I care a lot about right now that's going through some extreme suffering because the principles in this passage of Scripture were not followed by uh, this couple. If they had followed it, I don't believe they would be in the situation that they're in today. As I said, I can't say any more about it than that, but I see this all over the place. I know people where I've pastored in various places that refuse to listen to God's Word in this area, and I've seen the results. This is important stuff we're talking about, folks. Not only does it prove whether or not you love God, but it also affects the way your home is going to be. It's going to be a place like it should be, according to the Scriptures, how your children are going to be raised, etc. This is important stuff. It is this next point that's probably going to ruffle the most feathers and probably going to upset the most people. It says that women are to be taught to be keepers at home. I don't know how many times I've heard preachers change this to be keepers of the home. They say that as long as she keeps the home up, she can go outside the home and work. Uh, I know also that at least some of the modern Bible versions change this to workers at home. Let me tell you what the words really mean. The Greek word comes from two words. One of them is domestic or home, and the other is to guard. The woman is to be a guarder of the home. How about the English word? Well, it fits very well with this same definition. It is one who has care, custody, or superintendence over a thing. You can think of it this way. You know what a zookeeper is? A zookeeper is somebody who takes care of the zoo. He's there to watch it, to guard it, to make sure the animals are properly taken care of, to make sure that the, they are protected from dangers, etc., a keeper at home is a woman who is at home guarding or protecting her home. She has custody of it. One Greek lexicon even used the idea of a guard dog when illustrating the meaning of this Greek word. This fits perfect with what Paul told young pastor Timothy he was to teach about the younger woman. He said, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, Give none occasion to the adversary to speak re reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Paul gave three things that the younger women are to do. 
First of all, they're to marry. That puts them under the authority of a husband. After marrying, they're to bear children. Of course, that means if God blesses them with children. And finally, they are to guide the home. I'm going to come back to this issue of keeper at home, but I think this is a good point to enter that third point, which is not too well accepted in today's society either. The older women are to teach the younger women to be obedient to their own husbands. Now, folks, this means not somebody else's husband. If a woman is working outside the home, she's going to be in a position where she has some other authority over her other than her own husband. It may be another woman, but most likely it will be another woman's husband. It will be a man, usually, that runs the company or something like this. It's not always, but usually it is. So she is not in obedience to her own husband. I can assure you that somewhere there will be a conflict between the desires of her husband and the desires of her boss. When this happens, you know that money is going to rule, and most likely she will be disobedient to her husband because she has to be obedient to her boss. This idea of a woman being in subjection or in obedience to her husband is rejected by many women today and abused by many men. It's something that we need to be careful with. Remember, men, you have to respond to God and answer to God for how you run your household and how you treat your wife. You're supposed to love her like you love yourself. You're supposed to love her like Christ loves the church. So you need to be careful about this idea of trying to just boss your wife around. You better listen to her. She's got some good things to tell you. And women, you need to understand that God placed this order. Man didn't. It's not my idea. It's it's God's idea that women be in subjection and under obedience to their husbands. If you want real blessings, you'll follow these principles. Now let's get back to uh, the subject here of women being keepers at home. Those of us who are old enough remember how it was when most women were keepers at home. I remember growing up, I had to behave even when I wasn't home because if I was over at a friend's house, uh, he had a mother at home who was guiding that home, guarding that home, protecting it. And I can assure you that if I did something that wasn't right and one of the other mothers in the area saw it, my mother would find out and I would... Uh, learn that I had to behave no matter where I was. But this idea of being a keeper at home is there to protect the home and protect the children. Uh, I feel that most people today don't understand the importance of this basic principle. Do you realize that our children are a gift from God? Do you realize that we will have to answer for how we raise them? There's a, a passage of scripture over in Psalms 127, verses 3 and 4, that I think applies very greatly here, and I happen to have some background in my life that will help us, I think, understand this passage. But it says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Our children are are a heritage or a gift that we receive from God. They're something that He has given to us. Now, we're responsible to Him for how we take care of them. It says that the fruit of the womb or our children are a reward from God. That's something that should mean a lot to us, and we should take great care in how we take care of these these gifts that God has given us. But it says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, 
so are children of the youth. I grew up in a home where my father was a manufacturer of one of the two most popular working recurve bows in Southern California uh, in uh, the 1950s. It's interesting because after I prepared my notes for this broadcast, I came over to set up the computer that I record on, and I happened to look on my bookshelf, and there was a Bible that I didn't remember being there. It happened to be my next younger brother's Bible. My next younger brother was killed the morning after he graduated from high school, so that was a long time ago, and and I still miss him to this day. But I opened up the Bible, and in there, there was a newspaper article talking about my father and his company where he manufactured these custom-made bows. And uh, so I just want you to know that I have some background in archery, and I understand what this passage of Scripture is talking about, and I'd like to help you uh, understand what it's talking about concerning our children here. If children are as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, there are some things we can learn from that. The Bible teaches that the man is the head of the household. He's the one that sets the tone. He's the one that sets the rules. He's the one that determines how the house is run. However, under the man, the wife, as we have seen already, is the one who is there present all the time, guiding the home and guarding it. She does it under the authority of her husband, but she's the one that that guides the home. And I want you to look at this today as the home being the bow from which our children are launched out into uh, life when they leave home. If we look at it that way, we understand that the quality of the bow is going to make a lot of difference in the way our children go. It's important that that home be correct, and that is the father's responsibility to set it, but it's the wife's uh, responsibility under the authority of her husband to be the one who actually executes the process. So if we see the father as the bow maker and the one who shoots the bow, we see the wife as the one who forms the arrows. The wife is the one that has more to do with the children and the way they're raised than the father does. She's the one that's there at home teaching them and nourishing them and making sure that they're they're what they should be. She's the one, if you will, that keeps the arrow straight. My father, at 80 yards, could put four arrows consistently in a four-inch circle. Sometimes he'd put one arrow in another arrow. He was a good shot. Why? Because he had a good bow and he had straight arrows. I remember when my father used to make his own arrows, he would check that shaft and make sure that it was perfectly straight before he would go to the problem of putting uh, the feathers on it even. A crooked arrow will not fly straight any more than a child who comes out of a home and he's not straight as he should be will not stay on course when he leaves home. This is why we see so many children of Christians, I'm talking about good Christians, children that were raised in church, uh, are leaving uh, the faith, they're going off their own way, they're getting their own, um, getting themselves into trouble by going in directions that they weren't taught to go in. The reason is they were not trained up properly. By the way, that passage that says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That passage is not talking about raising somebody in church or or, uh, having a Christian home. That's a military term, and it means to train them to such a point that their reaction in given situations is automatic. When a soldier goes through basic training, he is forced to do things that don't make a whole lot of sense, but the purpose is to teach him to obey commands 
uh, when they're given without question. And a properly trained child will uh, conduct himself according to the principles of God, even when it doesn't make sense. Now, this is why the principle we're talking about right now is so important, women being keepers at home. The Bible says women are to be keepers at home. If they're not, they're teaching the children that they don't have to obey the Bible, that the Bible doesn't mean what it says. I'll say a little more about that probably a little bit later. But we need to understand that it's important that we have the wife at home taking care of the home, making sure that the children are straight arrows ready to be launched out into uh, life because someday they're going to reach that point when they go out and start their own home. They need that basis from their mother under the authority of the father so they will know how to direct their home, how to live their lives. What if there are no children in the home? How does this relate? Well, first of all, if you remember the reason that God created woman was to be a help meet or fit or suited for her husband. The wife's mission in life is to help her husband stay on track, to help him with the things he needs to do, to make it possible for him to do the things he has to do to provide for the family. So it's not just about children, women being keepers at home. The idea is that the home is under the guidance of the wife, so the husband, as he's out working whatever he has to do to provide for the needs of the family does not have to worry about the home and what condition it's going to be in. The next uh, answer to this question of what if there are no children is how do you know there won't be children? Now, it's possible that the wife may not be able to have children or the husband may not be able to sire children. Those are possibilities, but you don't know that. I would just like to point out Sarah and Abraham. I mean, look at how old Sarah was when she had her first child. What's important is that you don't know if God's going to bless you with children down the road. My wife's brother and his wife could not have children. There had been many miscarriages and things like this, and they were older in life when his wife finally had Christopher, her son, who's now married and has children of his own, but you don't know. Now, suppose there are no children, not because the couple can't have children, but because uh, they don't want children. Well, if that's the case, then you're already in violation of God's precepts. The Bible says that the young women are to bear children, and if they can, and just because they don't want to, they don't have children, they are being selfish, they're not following God's principles. So you're already in error there, so the rest of this doesn't make a whole lot of difference, does it? You know, folks, this whole idea is a test of your faith. It's testing you to see whether you believe God or not. Now, if you go read commentaries and things like this or listen to these preachers who want to change the, the meaning of these words and say, well, you know, in our society, I've got to have the two incomes, that's your choice. But it means you don't believe God. God promises blessings to those who obey him. God has given you these principles. The thing is, do you believe him or not? You might say, well, we couldn't live on one income. How do you know? You haven't tried it. I can tell you from experience, I mean 53 years of married experience, that God honors his word. Uh, In 53 years, we've had some testing of our faith. We've had some times where we didn't know how we were going to make ends meet. We had some times where we had to be rather creative 
My wife learned how to cook potatoes in an awful lot of different ways and make them all taste good. We've been through the trials, but you know God has never let us down. We've had some difficult times, but we have never wanted for anything that we needed in 53 years of marriage. Here's a question I have for you if you say you can't live in today's modern world without two incomes. Do you think that God didn't know that the situation was going to be the way it is here in 2015 when he had Paul pen these words about a woman being keeper at home? You think he didn't know what was coming? I'm going to tell you something. My Bible tells me that God knows everything. My Bible tells me that he knew this would happen. He knew I would be saying the exact words I'm saying right now as I speak them. He knew that before he created the first thing of this universe. So are you saying God didn't know what he was talking about? That's a dangerous ground to be on. Maybe here's another problem. Maybe temporal things, that is the things of this world, are more important to you than God's precepts and eternal rewards. You know, the house that you live in, one day you won't live there anymore because you won't be here anymore. The things that you have, you'll leave those behind when you leave this earth. The things that God rewards you with, the things that he blesses you with, they will be with you forever. How important are your children to you? How important is it that your children are prepared to live this life God's way so that they can have blessings also? Here's another thought that you need to consider. Why would God bless the husband with an income sufficient to support the family if the couple's going to violate his principles anyway and have the wife working outside the home? You don't know if God is able to provide for you until you put him to the test. God promises blessing to those who keep his word. I'd like you to notice, though, also that this passage of Scripture there in, in uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 5, ends with, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now remember at the beginning I told you it says that these were things that become sound doctrine. And now it's telling us that the word of God be not blasphemed. What does it mean to be blasphemed? It means to be spoken against. Uh, you will also note that the passage in uh, Timothy where, where uh, Paul is saying that the young women are to be taught to uh, marry and bear children and guide the home, it says in that same passage, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, folks, that's the very definition of blasphemy. That's what blasphemy is. When we violate God's principles, when we don't follow God's way, we open up God's word to being evil spoken of, for people to say bad things about God's word. We're seeing that all over the place today. People are so critical of God's word. They blaspheme it on every hand, every chance they get. Why? Because people that claim to be Christians are not living according to what the Bible says. They're using the word of God to meet their ends because that's what they're seeing Christians do. They're seeing Christians change it to fit what they believe. Again, the question comes down to this. Do you really believe the Bible? Is it something that you really trust? Is it something that you believe to the point that you're willing to take its principles and apply them in your life, whether it makes sense or not? Whether you see how God's going to work it out or not? You know, we don't have to see how God's going to work it out. We only have to trust Him and allow Him to work it out. Here's what I'm asking of you today, folks. Don't get angry with me. You should get out God's Word, 
sit down with God's word and consider these issues prayerfully. Seek God's will. See what the Bible really says on this subject. Then you should take these uh, principles and follow them. Test God. See if he will not do what he says he would do. If you're not willing to do that, then you really don't believe God. As I said just a moment ago, my testimony is in our family, from the day we got married, actually my wife was working as a hairdresser. She was lost at the time and I was backslidden, but my wife was working as a hairdresser. She quit her job two weeks before we got married, and for the last more than 53 years, she has dedicated her life to taking care of her husband and her children. And I can assure you, as I said before, although there were times of testing, God has never let us down. So it comes down to this. Do you believe God? Do you believe the Bible? Or don't you? You can give it lip service. You can say, I believe it. But if you don't do what it says, you really don't believe what it says. Because God promises blessings to those who follow his precepts And I don't know anybody who would not like to have the blessings of God. Remember, the rewards of God's blessings are eternal. The rewards of the things of this world are temporal, and you will leave them all behind. This will tell you whether or not you really believe what God says. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.